This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today. I'm Alex Mellers. And I'm Tai Fu. And last night, we witnessed the Toronto Maple Leafs blow it yet again. For the fourth year in a row, they are winless in a playoff series. And this wasn't even really 100% a playoff series, because if they did win this one, they would have gotten to the first round of the playoffs. So you could say even worse than in years past, and I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, this team, uh, as a noted hater of the Toronto Maple Leafs, this is just a gift that keeps on giving. Uh, I mean, every single time they, it's, it's four years in a row now, right? Where they have a chance in an elimination series and they just can't close the deal. Third, what is it like game seven kind of scenario in a row where they lose. And I mean, yeah, they just couldn't get it done. Uh, against Columbus last night, I thought they were the better team throughout the game, but they just, they couldn't put it in the net. Uh, Corpus Allo was, I mean, he was brilliant, uh, saves less than left and right. But then again, you know, a lot of the blame falls on the Leafs too. I mean, when you have a line where uh, at one point it was Tavares, Matthews, and Marner all on the same line playing at the same time, $33 million on the ice at the same time, not even counting the defensemen, and you can't score a goal, fucking embarrassing, all right? I know they completely dominated play. That line was ridiculous. But the fact of the matter is, uh, I know Tavares missed an empty net. Uh, and But other than that, I mean, they... They they had the they had the possession, but I mean other than there was there were two posts Tavares's post and there was another one. I mean I can't say that like Toronto they like they they had a ton of great A scoring chances. Were they the better team? Yes, but fuck at the end of the game I wasn't shocked that they lost. I didn't say whoa uh, total upset. I thought Columbus played a decent game and yeah I mean factor of sadness. I can't imagine what this fan base is going through yet again. And guess what? The Montreal Canadiens are in the playoffs this year. Meanwhile, Toronto's going to be sitting on the sidelines. Amazing. Uh, I sent you a tweet this morning that I saw from At The Ninja Greg that I think summarizes the uh, the state of the Toronto Maple Leafs pretty well. It says, I love that the Blue Jackets were considered the Leafs' worst possible opponent because they do things like try hard, and play defense. So, yeah, I think that, that that sums it up pretty well. I saw a bunch of, of really interesting stats, or kind of really telling stats, I guess. Uh, one of them was about Frederick Anderson. Over the course of his career with the Ducks and the Leafs, he is 0-8 in games where his team has the chance to move on to the next round. So he's never won a series-winning game, and he had awful numbers too. 870-something save percentage, I think. Goals against average well above three. The other one was uh, a an incredibly low shooting percentage for the Leafs throughout the series. It was, I think a little bit under 2%, which is just incredibly low. And I, I know Leafs fans don't want to use that as an excuse. I'm just saying it is more of like an explanation for, cause like, I do agree that like the Leafs, especially in the second and third period did dominate possession, dominate scoring chances and expected goals, especially that stacked top line, which was a surprise that they put that even together, especially like just for the elimination game. We're going to try all these new lines. Seemed, seemed pretty weird. Uh, Shelton Keefe strategizing to me. But, but anyway, the fact of the matter is you have to score a goal. But like, especially when you're paying those three guys $11 million each and you're sacrificing by making like you have two defensemen get injured. Now, all of a sudden, Travis Dermott is your second best one. That's the sacrifice you make and you get shut out in an elimination game. It's very embarrassing for Toronto.
Yeah, I mean, just the, first of all, the, you just gotta give so much credit to like on the other hand, on the opposite, Freddie, those Columbus goalies. I mean, fucking ridiculous. I think they had what they saved like six goals expect over the expected average. Uh, com- just over the course of five games, they were preposterous. Corpusal was great. Merzlikins was great when he was in there. Uh, yeah, they had you know Corpusal was pulled at one point. Merzlikins landed those four goals in game four, but. I mean, uh, they're the reason that Columbus were even in this series because Toronto, I would say, was the better team throughout the series. They held the possession. They had the scoring chances. But, I mean, they were they were stonewalled. And, I mean, Freddie, I, I, like, at one point, you have to really be concerned with this whole elimination game narrative. Uh, usually, I think these kind of things are overblown because, you know, it's such a small sample size, right? Games in the playoffs where you can move on. But at this point, eight games in a row, uh, and, you know, the save percentage speaks for itself. It's kind of absurd. And you got to you gotta wonder. I mean, you look at that second goal, all right? You, you place a bunch of the, the Liam Foody one where, I mean, four skaters just completely abandoned them on a terrible line change. But also, fucking terrible angle. The goal was soft as shit. And, I mean, this was, this was what, late in the third period, the Leafs, couldn't give up another goal. And at that point in the game, despite the fact that your skaters completely abandoned you, I mean, this is where you count on your goalie to make a, a typical save to keep you in the game. And Freddie couldn't do that. Freddie hasn't been able to do that throughout his career. And yeah, question marks in that for, for you know, Toronto going into the future. I think his contract's up after next year. Uh, he's getting up there in, area, in age. They don't have anybody else in the pipeline, really. And so, you know, that's another situation to monitor. Obviously, that defense is just fucking terrible. But goaltending as well, uh, we're starting to see, see some real question marks as we head into the end of Freddie's contract. Uh-huh. Uh, it kind of reminds me that whole, uh, you know, not elimination game, but a moving on game situation with Frederick Anderson. It reminds me a bit of how the narrative around Bruce Boudreau uh, while he was with the Ducks. It was four years in a row from 2013 to 2016. Um it wasn't always in the first round, but all of those years, the Ducks had a 3-2 to two lead in one of the rounds of the playoffs, and, and then they lost Game 6 and Game 7. And after the fourth time is when they cut their cut their ties with Bruce Boudreau. And he's been with, with Minnesota the whole time. And I'm pretty sure he hasn't won a playoff series since. So that's still kind of, I guess, maybe next time Bruce Boudreau is coaching because he isn't with the Wild anymore. And maybe if he's coaching a playoff team, then that is a narrative to, to keep watching again. It's very strange when something like that happens uh, multiple times in a row. Uh, the other series that ended up closing out since our last episode actually closed like that night. So it wasn't long after was the Canucks in the wild. Uh, Vancouver won game four, five to four in overtime. Uh, I was watching that game. It was late at night. It was heading into overtime. And I was staying up. And I said, I'm kind of tired. I really hope. This game doesn't go late because I'm actually going to have to, you know, wake up in the morning. And luckily for me and for the Vancouver Canucks, 11 seconds in, Chris Tanev scores, clinches the series. And now that all the eight series are done, uh, I think maybe it's worth pointing out that you had you went five for eight in your your predictions for the, the qualification round. And I believe, if I counted correctly, I went four for eight. So so you're the, you're the winner on that. You got all the Eastern series right. And you just got you got you went one for four in the West, and I'm pretty I would got a two on each side. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so the West was a bit of an atrocity on my end, but uh, yeah, shout out to the East. Uh, and I'll take round one. We'll see what happens in round two, or I should say, I'll take the qualifier round. We'll see what happens in round one. 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, fucking disappointing for Minnesota, I gotta say. Uh, just another fan base that the, the joke continues, right? Mediocrity all the fucking way. Uh, I mean, the core is aging. Uh, it seemed like they they were doing better under Dina Vesan after they fired Boudreaux. But, I mean, they fucking couldn't get it done. Uh, they lost to a Canucks team that, frankly, I wasn't totally impressed by. I thought they were the better team. But, you know, I was expecting a bit better out of this, you know, this young electric core. But what they, they, they moved on. They looked to see another game. And Minnesota doesn't. Uh, and the meme lives on. I mean, fucking, uh, they're losing the qualifying round. I don't know what place this puts them in the Western Conference, but I'm sure it's close to like ninth or tenth place. And can't be happy about that, I'm sure. Actually, Minnesota now, uh, now that Montreal, Chicago, and Arizona have all won their, their qualification series, um, Minnesota is actually the team out of the eight that lost that finished lowest in the standings. So that means that Minnesota, either they're going to win the first pick tonight or they'll be picking ninth. So if Minnesota had to lose for them, then I'm pretty sure the fact that Montreal, Chicago, and Arizona all won is a pretty favorable outcome for them because it bumps them up uh, like three draft slots. Yeah, some consolation for them, uh, I guess. I mean, that's fucking fortunate. Uh, They bounced into the pot that Montreal was going to have had they lost to to the Penguins. So... uh, yeah, small consolation for the Wild. They'll get a they'll get a handy player if uh, you know whoever it is, right? If they if someone mm-hmm. falls to them, they'll be right there to pick them up. Uh, so yeah, anything else you want to add on uh, the the qualifying round? Now that that whole thing is wrapped up, best of five series, crazy shit. Uh, I mean the Canucks are a really interesting team uh, to to watch because because in my opinion, the like the definition of top heavy. Because obviously, like that core, Pedersen, Besser, Hughes, also like you throw in guys like JT Miller, Bo Horvat, like that top six, and also like their best defenseman, Quinn Hughes, is one of the best cores in the NHL. Also, Jakob Markstrom is pretty good too. But then all of a sudden, you start looking at the bottom six. It's it's just it's a disaster when guys like Antoine Roussel, Brandon Sutter, Jay Beagle, Tyler Mott, and then you got you know like your bottom pair. You got Tyler Myers and either Oscar, Fan- Oscar Fantenberg or the very inexperienced Ole Ulevi. So, like, the Canucks' top guns are going to have to stay at the, the top of their game in order to drag the rest of that, like, you know, super overpriced bottom six into, into uh, I guess they're playing the, the St. Louis Blues. So it'll all rest on the shoulders of Pedersen, Hughes, and Besser, and, and Horvat and JT Miller, those top guys for the most part, if they have any hope of moving on. Yeah, so speaking of moving on, uh, you want to get into the previews of the fucking... First round, the official first round of the NHL playoffs. Yes, yes, I, w- I would love to. So I th- I'm pretty sure we started in the East with, when we did the our, uh, our play-in preview. Do you want to start in the West this time just to shake it up a little bit? Sure thing. Go ahead. All right. Uh, so we have got the one seed, Vegas Golden Knights, who were actually third in the West in the regular season, but went undefeated in the round robin. Clinch the top seed are now playing the 12 seed, but now kind of the 8 seed Chicago Blackhawks. And according, I think I sent you the screenshot of this. According to Dalma Decisions model, Vegas has about a 75% chance of victory, which is a much a much higher chance than like a much wider spread than any of the play-in series had. So I mean, I do want like a little part of my my brain is like, oh, you know, maybe Chicago, you know, they just beat the Oilers. Their their offense is rolling right now. You got Kubelik, Tave Saad, that top line is scoring a bunch, especially Kubelik, of course. Not to mention former Hart Trophy winner Patrick Kane. 
But then again, you know, you look at the Golden Knights and the one seed thing kind of speaks for itself. We're going to talk about it when we get to the Flyers, but a team that just went undefeated against the top three, or I guess the other top four teams in their conference is, uh, you know, probably on quite the hot streak. So I'd be tempted to pick the Golden Knights if we're going to run through our predictions again. Then then maybe six games. I think I do I do like the way the Blackhawks are, are rolling now, the way their offense is rolling. So I'll give them I'll give them two games. Okay. Alright. So I mean Chicago, the thing with them, right, is yeah, they played a team in Edmonton that frankly completely fell apart aside from Connor McDavid. And it's just it's a completely different story now in Vegas. They're much more complete, right, as a roster. And I feel they're much more, you know, playoff ready uh you look at how they did in the in the in the round robin but also just the fact that they've made the playoffs the last couple of years uh that's more than Edmonton can say and I mean Chicago's defense is just so awful even against Edmonton we saw that yeah their offense is nice but you know Vegas's offense is nice and I would say it's even better I think there's more depth there uh, I think Chicago is still one of those teams where it's top heavy you know you have King you have Kubelik and you have Caves but uh, after that I mean there's really not much you have Strom as well but, you know, it's it's not a very deep forward court. Yes, they did great against Edmonton, but I don't expect it was gonna it's gonna continue. Now, one big point that's been, you know, that's that's a lot of people have talked about is how, you know, Robin Lehner uh was just traded at the deadline from Chicago to Vegas. He's facing his old team. And man, I know Chicago couldn't possibly have foreseen this, you know, a whole pandemic, uh, and now they're in the playoffs. They they won their playing series and all that. But I mean, I got it. You got to think they're they're regretting this trade right now because Laner's a fantastic goalie, uh, underrated by most people. And also, if they didn't make that trade, I mean, whether it be Crawford or Laner that's starting for Chicago, I mean, Flurry's been having a fucking awful season. And so, if Flurry was starting for the Golden Knights, I would have a lot more faith in Chicago, and maybe I would stretch it to seven games or six. But I mean, Vegas. You, you talk about the models, like Dom Decisions model. Uh, in a in a sport like hockey where, you know, there's a lot of chance, there's a lot of luck involved, and there's a lot of parity, to see a number like 75% spit out in a playoff game, uh, in a playoff series, it's just, it, that, that's an indication of how lopsided I expect this to be. And so I won't go full sweep, because Chicago, I think they're on a bit of a heater, but I'm giving it to Vegas in five. All right. Uh, yeah, the Robin Leonard thing. Honestly, that trade at the time seemed a little weird to me, too. I know that Chicago wouldn't have made the playoffs in a normal year and that Leonard's a penning UFA, but Corey Crawford is also a penning UFA, and they're going to have to have a goalie next year, and it looked like they made their decision to stick with Crawford and trade Leonard away and get a couple couple future assets for him. And it wasn't even such a big return. They got, they got Malcolm Subban, of course, who's like a, a mediocre backup goalie. They got uh, Stanislav Demon, I think, who's like a, a kind of mid-tier prospect. And I, I want to say like a second-round pick. So not such a great return for a guy who's now uh, the starting goalie on the top seed in the West as Stanley Cup contender. And so I think that even if just the return maybe would have seemed like not enough at the moment and that came back to bite them, now they're actually going to have to play against him in the playoffs. So it's going to directly bite them. Yeah, I mean, I, at the time when they made the trade, I said I fucking loved it for Vegas. Uh, for Chicago, I thought they were just selling off. Their season was over. But yeah, Vegas, I thought, you know, Fleury had a bad season. And this really pushed them into the Stanley Cup contender territory in the West. And, I mean, it just looked even better now that they're actually facing Chicago in the playoffs. Uh, it's just, it, I thought it was a brilliant move from Vegas because Fleury was doing so bad. And I thought it was a relatively low price, as you said. And now they're really reaping the benefits 
and, and a really ironic twist where they're facing Chicago. And yeah, Robin Lehner, I think if Vegas wins it, you'll be looking at that trade and you'll be going, Jesus Christ, that's where they want it really because yeah, the roster's better, but also, I mean, the disparity between Lehner and Flurry and the, just the mindlessness on behalf of Chicago when you look in retrospect. Uh, yeah, this trade looks very lopsided now. Mm-hmm. Also, I think we should mention that Max Pacioretty is joining the Golden Knights in the bubble now. He didn't play any of the round-robin games because he was injured, and Chandler Stevenson was in his spot on the top line with, with William Carlson and Mark Stone, but Pacioretty's there now, so that's another another very big boost to that team moving forward. And I want to mention, I really liked how the round-robin worked out because obviously with, with these like four-team round-robins, you could end up in a situation where like, one team goes three and zero, and the other three teams are all one and two. And you gotta like use the tiebreakers to sort it out. Or like one team goes two and one, and the other ones are oh wait no not that way. Uh, like one team goes zero oh and three, and the other teams all go two and one. And then you have tiebreakers for like first, second, third. But this one worked out nicely, not only because you had like three and zero, oh, two and one, one and two, zero oh and three in each conference, and you didn't have to use any tiebreakers. But also, all of the last four games. Uh, directly determined the first seed versus second seed and the third seed versus fourth seed. Like, for example, that Vegas-Colorado game was winner gets top seed, loser gets second seed, and obviously Vegas beat the Avalanche in overtime so that the Avalanche were knocked down to the second te- second seed. And I like how it ended up working out for the NHL because, they, I mean, they probably had a hunch that um that the round robin probably wouldn't draw as many viewers as the best of five series. And maybe wouldn't be as intense either because the teams, these teams had already punched their tickets to the first round of the playoffs. Uh, there was a, actually a funny tweet by uh, Thomas Drance. Uh, yeah, I already have it, I have it pulled up. It says, basically, it says the round-robin portion of NHL return to play is like going to a diner with someone and watching them fiddle with an old-school glass Heinz bottle for eight minutes trying to get the ketchup on their hash browns. So I'm not sure if I would go that far, even though the, the, the analogy is quite uh, quite specific, I guess. But it does. I do like that instead of, you know, getting the round robin done as soon as possible, they made it, whether it was like a little bit by luck or not, but they made it so that the last couple round robin games did have a lot of playoff implications. And so, first of all, you would probably get more viewers that way. And second, um, the players are actually playing for like a, a tangible incentive. Yeah, I mean, I think the words, I liked how it worked out uh, perfectly encapsulates how I feel as well. I think the NHL 100% got lucky in this scenario where, you know, you had all those games the last couple of days where, you know, the seating still wasn't worked out and, you know, you have a winner-take-all scenario. Uh, I mean, it could have gone either way uh, where it could have been, you know, determined by date, by the second round of matchups and then the third round, nobody would have really given a shit. So I think really the NHL got lucky in this in the sense. And I mean, I'm still I, I'm still against this method. I, I don't really like the concept of throwing out the regular season. I'm still against it. I'm, I haven't warmed up to it. I know Boston was terrible during the round robin, but the fact of the matter is they were just so much better during the regular season that, you know, I don't think we should discredit them of that. And, you know, one alternative that I maybe would have preferred, preferred in hindsight was you kind of like you treat it like everybody, you do the same matchups, but you treat it as a continuation of the regular season. And you, you just continue tacking on points. And then you take a points percentage at the end of that. And that's how you determine seeding. But that's all over. And, I mean, it worked out well for the NHL. Good for them. Uh, and the last day of games, people were watching. I was keeping track of what was happening. So, small victories, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, next series in the West. Number two seed, Colorado Avalanche. Against number 11, but kind of seven seed, 
uh, my underdog pick from, from the qualification round, Arizona Coyotes. Unfortunately, I do believe that the Coyotes run will end here because the Avalanche, even though they, they lost to Vegas in overtime, I think that Colorado still is the better team. And I I said, I think, when we made our, our play-in round predictions that I want to be more conscious of like picking a couple sweeps because there almost always are a couple in the first round. Uh, I don't know. No, I'm not going to use it here. I'm not going to pick a sweep here. I'm going to give Arizona one game because they were pretty impressive against against Nashville. And uh, Taylor Hall, I found to be pretty good too. Their, their defense looks strong. Darcy Kemper looks strong. So I'm going to give them one game against the powerhouse Avalanche, but Colorado in five. Yeah, I think they're just completely outmatched. Uh, the talent is just, there's there's a huge disparity yet again. Uh, I would think even more pronounced than with Vegas and Chicago. It's just Colorado is a playoff contender. They're fucking locked and loaded. They bought, well, they didn't really buy at the deadline, but they they, they came into the, this playoffs thinking, you know, we're trying to win the Stanley Cup. Meanwhile, Arizona, kind of lucky to be here. Uh, Darcy Kemper stole a series uh, for them against Nashville, I found. I, I said that a couple days ago. and. I mean, it's just, yeah, fuck, it's just Taylor Hall, Phil Kessel, and uh, a bunch of merry men. Uh, it's just not, the talent isn't really there with Arizona. Not a playoff team, really, if you ask me. And so, yeah, Colorado 5, just like you. You know, I think Kemper is going to steal him a game, if anything, because, fuck, he was really good against Nashville. And I don't I don't see that stopping against Colorado, but I, I think it's too much for him to actually steal, like, meaningful number of games but and to actually you know put Colorado in some danger so yeah I'm taking Colorado in five I think Kemper steals them game two or three but just Colorado's a machine right now and Arizona just doesn't look the part Nathan McKinnon is uh, along with being the best player left in the playoffs after of course you know McDavid Crosby and, and all them Austin Matthews maybe you can make the argument I wouldn't all got eliminated McKinnon honestly maybe he's like second or third player in the NHL overall, in my opinion. But anyway, he's certainly the best one left standing. Also the only Hart finalist left standing after Drysaddle and Panarin both got eliminated. So that'll be that's an interesting angle to, to watch moving forward. Uh, next series in the West, the Dallas Stars, who were not very impressive overall, I found, in the, in the round robin. Uh, neither were the Blues, but Dallas managed to pull out the win in the shootout after tying the game with about 30 seconds left. And clinch the third seed. They are going to be playing the Calgary Flames, who I don't know if they they would have beaten the Jets if the Jets had Shifley and Line. So it's um it's kind of hard to get a gauge like Dallas, who kind of you know stumbled into the pause and hasn't really found their groove yet, versus the Flames, who it's maybe not so easy to get a gauge on a team that yet yeah, they played very well against the Jets, but this was a Jets team with, as we mentioned many times, uh not such a uh, a pretty bad defense core, and also missing their their top center and Patrick Line. So uh, kind of a I don't know. I'm having trouble getting a getting a good feel for the series, but I feel like if I want to pick a couple underdogs, which the NHL has has made it very clear in recent years, underdogs win pretty often nowadays. Uh, this might be a series to to go that route. So I think I'm going to go with Calgary in seven. Okay, yeah, I tend to agree. I think this one's a weird series, like you said. A couple teams where. I'm not entirely sure where their play is at. I mean, I felt like Dallas had a season where, you know, they're just kind of steady as the fourth best team in the West. But, I mean, they were really nothing special. Uh, and heading into the round robin, uh, some questionable moves here. You know, Jamie Benn, don't think he's had the most ice time. And so Rick Bonus, not really sure what he's doing screwing around with the ice time like that. I know Joe Kowalski's had a lot of minutes. 
And so, yeah, Bishop is, in, is, is banged up. So is Sagan. And so, yeah, a lot and a lot of question marks from Dallas. I mean, I think yesterday when they won against uh, St. Louis, it was like their first win since February 25th. So, I mean, the season stopped in March. So they, won, they were on a losing streak then too. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, it really doesn't inspire the utmost confidence. Uh, Bishop went healthy. He can steal a bunch of games because he's, he was really good this, this season. But, you know... Dallas, yeah, just really doesn't inspire much confidence. Neither does Calgary either, really. I didn't pick them to win against Winnipeg. Uh, but yeah, as you said, those injuries kind of derailed Winnipeg's series there. Uh, hard to gauge on, on Calgary, but they seem to be really rolling. Uh, they lost one game, but I thought they were the dominant team against the Jets. Uh, they weren't just scraping by an injured Jets team. And so I'll take Calgary, and I'll take them at six. Uh, because they're on a hot streak. Dallas, not so much. Next, we've got the Blues and the Canucks. Last series in the Western first round. I kind of previewed this uh, a little, very slightly when I talked about the Canucks. And, uh, you know, you know, this is kind of similar to actually kind of the opposite of, of Dallas and Calgary. Uh, well, not really. Not really, I guess. Because Vancouver, uh, their top guns are rolling, as I said. Uh, after Game 1, where they had absolutely nothing, they started scoring in Game 2 and didn't really stop all through the rest of the series. Meanwhile, the St. Louis Blues, I mean, they had a dominant regular season, and then, kind of like the Bruins, they, they fell flat as soon as they got to the bubble, and they just lost three games in a row. So, I mean, yes, the Blues are on paper and throughout the season better than the Canucks, but, I mean, Vancouver is now on a three-game winning streak, and St. Louis is now on a three-game losing streak, and that's something to, to really take into consideration, because you want to, like in a normal playoff year, you want to think, well, how has this team been doing in the past month, month and a half? And now we don't really have that advantage. So the most we really have to go on is just the past three games. So I am really tempted to go with the underdog again here, pick the Canucks. Uh, I think, and I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to do it. Vancouver in, I'll say seven once again. So that's, that's two seven game series for me in the Western Conference. Okay. All right. You pick two underdogs. But meanwhile, I I I can't I can't put my faith in Vancouver. I didn't I, I said earlier I didn't really think they impressed. I mean their top guns were rolling, but I felt like they barely squeaked by a Minnesota team that just screamed mediocrity, and that doesn't really inspire any faith in this team for me. Uh, so you know, and St. Louis, yeah, you talk about how they lost all three games. Uh, I mean, I felt like they they could have won. They could have very easily won all three of them. They had late leads in all of them. I know against Colorado, Nazem Kadri scored with 0.1 seconds left. They coughed up a two-goal lead against Vegas. And then Dallas last night, they tied it up with 30 seconds and then won in a shootout. And so, you know, it's not like St. Louis has been blown out. Has it been concerning that they've lost all three games uh, and that they blew those leads? Absolutely, it's concerning. But, you know, this team wasn't out of its class uh, over the course of the round robin. And, you know, if they got 3-0, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, So, I mean, this team... Is not is not changed much since they won the club just last year. Their the experience is there. I mean, Tarasenko's coming back. He's healthy for the first time in months now. He got early. He got injured early in the season, and yeah, that's a potential X factor there. So I just think you know Vancouver, not much faith. St. Louis, I mean, they're just the proven team. They're fantastic in the regular season, uh, the round robin. They weren't terrible, and so you know I'm taking St. Louis. I'll take the favorite. And I'm taking the six games. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. I guess maybe of all the underdogs I could have picked, maybe Vancouver isn't the the greatest one. Especially, I didn't really consider. Yeah. I didn't realize that the Blues did blow leads in all three of their their 
round robin games, and two of them very late in the game. One of them incredibly late in the game that Nazem Kadri uh, under 0.1 seconds left, and it was honestly the call could have gone either way. It was that close, but but alas, uh, they finished fourth seed, and now they get the the toughest matchup in the West of any of the round robin teams playing the Canucks. Moving on, sliding over to the Toronto Hub City into the Eastern Conference. Uh, I guess we can start kind of like we did in the West with uh, the top seed and the eighth seed, which just so happens to involve our beloved Montreal Canadiens, who are officially a playoff team. I still haven't gotten tired of saying that. And they are going up against an absolute nightmare matchup, in my opinion, the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah, out of all the teams that we could have faced, uh, this is one that I didn't want to. And I was contemplating, you know, last episode, we were just talking about who would we rather face Philly or Tampa, and looking at that game, Philly versus Tampa, I mean, I would much rather face Tampa at this point because Philly is absolutely clicking. They're locked and loaded. They're a fucking train that's about to railroad teams that try to get in their way. And, yeah, frankly, I'm extremely worried for these Montreal Canadiens because, I mean, they just seem outmatched. Uh, The depth, which is one of Montreal's strengths, uh, Philly has even more. I mean, it's absolutely preposterous. That first line, uh, you know, Giroux, Couturier, Faraby. I mean, you're talking about Claude Giroux, who scores a bunch of goals. And you're talking about Sean Couturier, who is probably going to win the Selkie this year. And you look down the lineup, that forward core. Uh, I mean, I've seen a lot of, of praise for Nicolas Aubé-Coubel, who's apparently really shown to be a really good player this year. And he's on their third line. And so, you know, just the depth is absolutely dangerous. The skill everywhere in that lineup. How, you know, Oscar Lindblom, He's in the bubble again. He might he, he might be added into the lineup. Who knows? And yeah, just it's just that this team is ridiculous. And the skill on paper, the skill is there, but it's it's more than that at this point. They're just playing so well. Uh, all two hundred feet. They're fast. They're dogged. Uh, I mean, they were relentless against Tampa Bay, and so that's really worrisome because you know you talked about this last time when we were potentially previewing potential has matchups. I mean, this is like the Habs on steroids, right? Uh, the, the Flyers are because they kind of play similar styles, but the Flyers are just so much more loaded. And not to mention, it's not like the Habs have a huge you know, advantage in goal either. Carey Price was incredible against the Penguins. But, you know, Carter Hart, uh, he's been ridiculous as well. I mean, and so you, this, this guy's clearly their goalie of the future, only 21 years old. I'm jealous. And, uh, yeah, Philly looks completely loaded and you know what i'm gonna save my prediction until uh, i want to hear what you have to say all right i here's what i have to say about the flyers um they just played three games in a row against tampa bay boston and washington that wasn't the order but those are the three teams and they outscored them 11 to 3 so for those who are keeping count at home that's one goal per game and uh if i'm remembering the scores correctly it was four to one versus boston then three to one versus washington then four to one versus Tampa Bay. And we talked about like these round robin games, these last round robin games having pretty high stakes. That Philadelphia Tampa game had, I believe, the highest stakes out of all of them because you got the winner playing Montreal, who shouldn't have been there at all, and then the loser playing Columbus, which at the time they didn't know it would be Columbus. It could have been Toronto also. And that's a, a pretty big jump up from Montreal to Columbus or Toronto in uh in obviously, you know, value of opponent. And the Flyers just they they blew the doors off the Tampa Bay Lightning, who might win the Stanley Cup still. Um, I think I think the Flyers are a really good one of many really good cautionary tales about about not spending too much on your depth 
because look look at their bottom six that everyone that no one can stop praising right now. You got Nicholas Abe Kubel, who was like a second round pick, who as recently as like last season was looking like he was twenty three, he hadn't really made the NHL yet, looking like he was maybe gearing up for a career as an AHL journeyman. And then he was like on waivers in September. And then in the middle of the season, he just breaks through and he hits a stride and he's great. You've got Derek Grant, who I'm pretty sure isn't making very much. And they acquired at the deadline for like a fourth or fifth round pick. Nate Thompson, kind of this similar deal. Uh, James Van Riemsdyk is on your third line, but that's a little bit of a different story because, I mean, you could argue he's probably more of a top six, top six forward who Scott Lawton has been just playing so well on that second line with Konechny and Kevin Hayes that JVR got knocked down the lineup. Then you've got Tyler Pitlick, who's making like a million bucks, and Connor Bunneman, who's like still on an entry-level contract. Not to mention, you got Nolan Patrick, who hasn't played all year because he's uh, been dealing with uh, migraine issues. So I'm not, not saying like, you know, that's an extra depth piece they're going to add because I don't, I'm pretty sure Nolan Patrick isn't even in the bubble. Hope he gets better. But just saying like you had him penciled in as, I guess, maybe your third-line center. All of a sudden, he can't play all year, yet you still managed to figure it out. Oscar Lindblom, kind of the same story. Jakob Voracek didn't even play against Tampa Bay. He's injured. Not sure when he'll be back. Michael Raffle also got injured, I think, in their first game. I think that I think both of those guys are day-to-day. So you're losing all these pieces, and you still manage to plug the holes in and still get praised for your amazing depth. So that's why I think the Flyers are going to be the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, I don't think I'm really going out on a limb there. Um, you said something very interesting to me as soon as that matchup was confirmed, Montreal versus Philadelphia. Uh, and I said something in the vein of, oh, Montreal is probably going to get killed. Uh, you said, like, you said, oh, you got to have hope. And what I said was, having no hope, having no faith worked pretty well for me last time. So I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to say Philadelphia in four. Okay. So you used a sweep. You used a sweep card uh, against the Habs. And for me, you know, fuck it. It worked last time. You know, I'm using that logic. And it worked last time against Pittsburgh when I picked them. Uh, and so, fuck it. We're doing it again. Nobody picked Montreal against Pittsburgh, and except for me. Uh, and so, you know what, fuck, we're doing it again. Uh, I don't think anybody's picking Montreal in this series other than me again. Uh, so, yeah, we're doing it. Montreal, I think they're going to take it. Well, no, I don't actually think they're going to take it, but I might as well throw it in there. Uh, because, yeah, you got to, I'm, not, I'm not doing this whole conflict of interest thing. Uh, just like the Toronto-Columbus series, I, I can't cheer. For Philadelphia, like I can't have this half of my brain wants the Habs to win, but also you know wants my podcast bracket to thrive. And so we're picking Montreal. I'm thinking seven or six games, but uh, you know uh, I think seven is the I think seven is the right move. Uh, I think six is maybe a bit too optimistic. And so yeah, Montreal at seven. We're fucking doing it. Call me a homer. I don't give a shit. It worked last round. And so let's go Habs all the way. Yeah, just just I want to make it very clear that even though I did pick the Flyers in the series. I will. Uh, there will be no part of my brain that is will be cheering for them, just so that my podcast bracket can be right. I have. I basically no interest. Like I could nail all the picks. That'd be pretty cool. I could go over eight. Like I. I probably. I won't be sad about it. The one I will be sad about is my my NHL uh, NHL bracket, where I could possibly win a million dollars. Maybe I'll be rooting a little bit in that one. But uh, th- these aren't quite exactly the same picks that uh, that I'll be using for that. So because. Because I, I, I don't know if I should reveal this, but uh, Tysa and I are making two brackets together, and they'll be different. And if either of them wins, then we'll be splitting the money. Exactly. We're going for the million, baby. We're going for the million. And if we do win, I mean, we just might not have a podcast anymore. We'll just, like, fucking move to the, the Caribbean. Uh, well, and it's not like we do this for money to begin with. We make we make zero profit True. at all. 
Yeah. Fair, so fair enough. We, we don't keep but, going. Uh, <laughs> We're going to go on a nice vacation if we do end up winning a million. Uh, once this COVID thing clears up, obviously. All right. Of course, uh, of course. So, yeah. Anything else you want to add about this this Habs Philly series that we're obviously uh, going to keep keeping a close eye on? Uh, man, the Flyers might win the Cup. They, they look so good. They look so good heading into heading into the pause. They, had, they were 9-1 in their last 10. I think the hot streak stretched, stretched back uh, – well, before then, and I mean, they picked up right where they left off. It'll be it'll be cool to face Nate Thompson again, I suppose. Kind of a, a much less extreme version of the Chicago Robin Leonard situation. And uh, as you said, uh, winning to to get revenge for 2010 that would be that'd be pretty nice. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to happen. Hope very hope very much that I'm proven wrong. Uh, next series, we have a rematch from last season. I'm pretty sure the only one. Uh, no, not the only one, actually, for the entire playoffs, because Boston Carolina did beat in round three, but the only one in the first round from last year, Tampa Bay Lightning, Columbus Blue Jackets. Of course, it was immediately uh, deemed classic status as soon as the 62-win Tampa Bay Lightning were swept at the hands of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Can they do it again? I don't think so. Um, just because it was a fluke, honestly. And all, Tampa, they are a little bit different than they were last year. They added a couple pieces, Blake Coleman, Barkley Gaudreau, Patrick Maroon. And But even if they hadn't, even if we're, if we're like the exact same teams, like the exact same Tampa Bay and Columbus from last year, uh, also like Columbus, you know, they lost Panarin and Duchesne, but like I'm not even talking about that. I would still probably pick the Lightning again just because just because they're, they're so much better on paper. And it was pretty much – and they're in, probably in a better space mentally. Like I know like – talk about the mental side of the game well, like kind of old man takey but but I, th- I just think like because it was so weird what happened to the lightning last year like the crux of my prediction is that it would be even weirder for it to happen two times in a row so i picked the lightning uh but columbus did prove against toronto that they're not to be messed with so i'm going to give them i'm going to give them two games i'm going to say lightning and six yeah there's there's i don't know it's it's a it's a spicy matchup first of all i mean uh just excellent Excellent, like fucking good for the narratives. Um, but I don't know. Tampa, Tampa holds a lot of red flags for me. Uh, it's just you know the whole mentally thing. Uh, I mean, I don't think that's to be understated because I mean they came out of the gate this season really weird. Uh, we talked about they were not in the playoff spot for a long time there. So yeah, Tampa's had a kind of a weird season trying to recover from. You know, I thought it was a pretty traumatic event for them losing in four games uh, when they won the President's Trophy with like sixty-two wins. And yeah, Columbus. I mean, their goalie is fucking dangerous. I don't know what's up with Merzlikens. Uh, apparently, he was hurt. But as you saw last night, Corpus Allo can very much hold his own. And Columbus, they just shut down a whole bunch of skills uh, in Toronto. I mean, Tampa Bay is, you know, kind of the, st- the roided version of the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, much better rounded. But, you know, they, they are very much based on skill and speed. Columbus showed they could shut that down. But, yeah, I think, I think the, the talent is just the disparity yet again is just so very big. And yeah, they have Corpus Alley, they have Merzlikens, but Tampa Bay obviously has, you know, better than nominee Andre Vasilevsky over there in net. Uh, and the headman injury gives me some concern. We don't know how long he's going to be out. Uh, he, he's one of the critical pieces. If they're going to make a deep run past Columbus and beyond, uh, they're going to need him to be healthy. But yeah, I, I'm taking Tampa in six. I think Colorado, their goalies can steal them a game. I think their, you know, their shutdown defense game can steal them two games. Uh, overall, and yeah, Tampa and six seems about right. Uh, I think Tampa overcomes their demons. I mean, if, if you ask me in October or in September if they were to do another rematch when Tampa Bay was absolutely horrible, I might pick Columbus in seven. 
But this is where we're at right now. Tampa seems to have recovered. They seem to be doing pretty well for themselves. And so, yeah, I agree with that one. I'm doing the same number of games. Tampa and six. Uh, one thing to keep an eye on, Steven Stamkos, who didn't play any of the three round-robin games, like Cap Friendly said, he's still out, uh, said expected duration indefinite. So indefinite Ooh. could mean back for game one. Obviously, we we don't have much information on that, especially now that everyone's in the bubble. Uh, no idea when Stamkos is coming back. Also, but the the injury that scares me even more is the Victor Hedman one. He he went down against Philadelphia in that last round-robin game. Ankle injury, also, according to Cap Friendly, expected duration unknown. So if there we were living in a universe where we had confirmation that Hedman would be back for game one, I'd be much more confident in that pick. If if like if he's out for the for the whole series, then honestly, I I'm much much less confident in the uh, in the Lightning because I'm pretty sure he actually he missed a couple games for Tampa last year against Columbus too. I think it was like game three and four, and that uh, things really fell apart. They were already starting to fall apart, but they really fell apart without him there. So I think without him, uh, projected lines on defense, the pairs for Tampa are Mithana and Chernak stay together, Sergachev and Shattenkirk stay together, and the bottom pair becomes Braden Coburn and Zach Bogosian. So it doesn't look awful, especially the those top four, but I mean, you better be limiting the, the minutes for that bottom pairing. Yeah, it's, it's, he's definitely a key piece for them. And as I said, if, they're, if, they're, if they make it past this round, they better hope that Hedman is healthy because once you get starting into the real contenders, I wouldn't put Columbus there just quite yet. Uh, once you get into real contenders, they're going to need Hedman if they're going to make it on. Uh, if they're going to make that cup run that we pred- I think we both predicted they're going to they're going to make it to the cup final and win it. Uh, I just if they're going to do that, they're going to need Hedman. They're going to need Stamkos to a certain extent, but Hedman absolutely hundred percent. Yep. Uh, two more series left in the Eastern Conference. Very interesting ones. And the first one is Washington Capitals versus New York Islanders. Washington and Boston both uh, were very underwhelming, in my opinion, in the in the round robin. They they played each other in each of their last games to determine like who's the third seed, who's the fourth seed. Winner plays the Islanders, loser plays the Hurricanes. Um, the Capitals won, of course. It was two to one, but for uh, for a pretty high stakes game. Uh, I, for one, would definitely much rather play the Islanders than the Hurricanes. Uh, neither one of them seems seemed to, to, what's the word I'm looking for, too urgent. There wasn't much urgency for either team. Uh, it looks like neither one of them really hit their stride heading into the, the first round. The Bruins, of course, have been well documented that they just don't seem to have it going, even that, that top line, as for whatever reason, they're calling it the perfection line on the, the NBC feed that, that Sportsnet is getting into. Anyway, they haven't been so so perfect. Ha, 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 ha. Washington also, of course, missing Samsonov. He's out of the bubble. It all rests on Holtby's shoulders, and he had a pretty bad year. Their backup is Vitek Vanacek, so kind of a question mark there. John Carlson is also injured. I think he might have played the first round round game for Washington, but... Uh, but missed the next two, unless he actually missed all of them. And, of course, Lars Eller, also out of the bubble now, because he just had a kid, and not sure when he'll be returning. Travis Boyd has taken his spot, but those are those are three important pieces missing for Washington. And the Islanders, I mean, I know they just they beat the Panthers, and the Panthers are a much less worthy opponent than any of the three other round-robin teams. But just the fact that Washington, they're missing the pieces. They don't seem to be playing with a tremendous amount of confidence. And the Islanders, I mean, I mean, you want to talk about confidence. Uh, we mentioned this last show. Uh, Anthony Beauvillier apparently is playing with a lot of confidence that he has, has stretching back to at least December. 
So I am tempted to go with the underdog once again, and I'm going to pick the New York Islanders. Seven games. Another seven-game series. Yeah, I'm going back and forth on this one. I can't figure out my pick. I mean, Washington, they are, I mean, they're just, they were so good. They were, they just seem like the better team on paper because they can fucking score. And the Islanders can't. And so that's what, you know, I'm so tempted to take Washington in a heartbeat. But, you know, you talk about so many question marks. Uh, obviously, those injuries, Carlson and Aller, when will they be back? Who knows? But also Samsonov, Samsonov, he's, he's out for the rest of the season. And Braden Holtby is probably the biggest question mark. He's atrocious this season. And that's why Samsonov was a starter. And, but he's looked all right in the round robin. Obviously, a small sample size. I think his save percentage is in the 920s. But yeah, I got Braden Holtby. I don't know. He's playing for a contract. So, I mean, that's pretty big for him. Uh, so he'll definitely be motivated. But yeah, I just I don't have faith in either of these teams, to be frank. You know, just New York. Uh, Florida's not a good team at all. And beating them, you know, you just good for you. That was to be expected. The problem with them is, yeah, I keep saying it. They, they don't know how to score goals. Uh, they have some nice pieces, obviously. They added Peugeot. They have, you know, they have Matt Barzal. But how much can they score? That's my question. And, yeah, I'm still, I'm still kind of stalling for time. I don't know who to pick. Uh, it's going to be seven games, I think. I think this series is going to be one of the more boring ones, to be honest. Definitely the most out of the Eastern Conference ones. Uh, if you're having trouble coming up with your pick, then uh, I'll let you think a little bit more while I point out that this series reminds me a lot of the other three to three versus six series, the one in the West, Dallas versus Calgary, and that pretty much just what you said. I don't have much faith in either team, and uh, yeah, in both of them, I ended up I ended up going with the underdog because I mean, if I don't have faith in either team, and if underdogs, you know, if I want to pick a couple of them because they seem to win a lot in the past two years then that seems like a good time to do it. So I'm not trying to influence your pick one way or another because these these prediction episodes are more fun when we, we, we butt heads a little bit. Wouldn't it be fun if we picked the same eight teams all, all across the board? But uh, that was my mindset. So uh, have you made up your mind yet? Have we have we had any differences yet so far? Yeah, yeah, uh, we had differences. Uh, Philadelphia, okay, Montreal, right. that was a difference. Um, That's true, all right. And, oh, wait, are you, are you Vancouver. Okay. Yeah, that was the other yeah. one. All right. So, okay, you know what? Uh, I just, I think New York looked confident in their system. They, you know, just, they're just running hotter than Washington is. Washington had a bit of a dud in the round robin. So, you know what? I'll even reduce the games. I'll take New York in six. I think Washington has big time disappointment potential here. Uh, So, yeah, here we go. New York, I'll take New York in six. Uh, Weird pick. I wouldn't be expecting to take New York, the, the Islanders, in any sort of series. But I think this is, out of all the other teams that they could have gotten uh, out of the round-robin teams, I think this is definitely their best matchup. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, two interesting things to watch in that series that I want to point out. Barry Trotz facing his former team that he won a Stanley Cup with two years ago, uh, and also his former assistant coach, Todd Reardon. So we'll see if that gives either side a, a leg up. I don't know. It's, it's kind of the, the discussion, like, uh, Robin Leonard facing his his former team, the Blackhawks. I don't, there's like a there's a popular Blackhawks blog. I don't remember the name, but basically they tweeted something about like, oh yeah, um, uh, this is good for Chicago because they know Leonard's weaknesses. And Robin Leonard replied to it with a laughing emoji because not not only is that kind of you know uh, 
a very, very desperate grab for, uh, you know, some, some hope against the top seed in the West. But also it can go both ways. Robin Leonard know that knows the shooter's tendencies. So kind of the same thing with Trotz against his old team. Also, I will be rooting for Washington because of Ilya Kovalchuk. I think it would be great to see him make a deep run and win a Stanley Cup before his, uh, his career ends. And uh, all reports are, by the way, that he is probably going to be coming back to Montreal next year. So if he does, if he does, if that's true, then I mean, unless they trade him at the deadline again, I wouldn't count on Montreal maybe making a deep run as soon as next season. Hopefully the year after that, they start scraping into contender territory. Oh yeah, I just, I totally fucking forgot about Ilya Kovalchuk uh, for, yeah. for a long while there. Jesus Christ. First of all, I forgot he was in Washington, but that whole Montreal saga where he signed uh, feels like a million years ago. And it feels like a totally different season. I guess it kind of is in a way. But, uh, okay, that's an interesting reminder. Ilya Kovalchuk, uh, yeah, coming back to the Habs? Sure. Uh, not too much money. I know that's in a long while from now compared to all the hockey we've got. But please, don't ruin our cap situation. Okay, moving on to the last series. Uh, the four versus five, I guess you could say. Uh, we have Boston versus Carolina. And, yeah, I mean, Boston... You talked about it a bit earlier in the when we were talking about the last series. They just look flat. I mean, this team was never really like totally loaded. Obviously, their first line is one of the best lines in the league. But they always kind of they, last year when they made it to the Cup final, they kind of beat everybody by you know grinding everybody down, and then that first line would score a bunch of goals, and then that's how they would win games. And it just looks like they haven't been able to. I mean, the, the, you talk about the first line. The perfection line not being perfect. Well, nobody's nobody else has really stepped up in the playing round. They were obviously, you know, not to discount the incredible regular season they had, but you know, maybe that's kind of worn off. I know it's just three games, but they looked very, very flat in those three games. Uh, so lots of cause to get lots of cause of concern, cause of concern. Uh, and they probably get the worst fucking matchup out of everybody. I mean, uh, and and I mean, rightfully so because they were the fourth seed. But Carolina, we talked about, we talked, we sung our praises last episode about how incredible they looked against the Rangers and just how loaded this team is. I mean, they are loaded, and they they got the only they got the only sweep last in the in the, in the qualifying round, and they're they just looked on another level. And so yeah, it's just the combination of Boston not looking right, Carolina high flying, cup contender at this point, I would say. Uh, I would I would take Carolina and I would take it pretty easily at this point. I'd be surprised, mildly surprised, quite surprised, if Boston takes the series, uh, despite how good of a season they had. I'm taking Carolina and I'm taking them six, and it's it's a capital S six. Boston should probably be the underdog going into this series because not only have they been been so underwhelming in the round robin, but as you said, the Hurricanes are rolling. They're at the absolute top of their game. This is a rematch from last year's conference final where Boston swept the Hurricanes. Uh, they won 4 nothing in that series. And so maybe you could... Uh, Hurricanes are... I think their, their Twitter account has been playing the revenge card a little bit here, trying to get their rematch, which is fair. It was only, well, a little bit over a year ago, but technically a year ago, like a season ago. And, I mean, Boston, of course, any second now, they could get clicking. That top line could, you know, become unstoppable. But here's the thing, is that the Hurricanes' top line is already unstoppable. They're already clicking. And that their that top line, even when both of those top lines are at the top of their game, they're comparable. Everyone you know loves to gawk over the Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak, rightfully so. In my opinion, Teravainen and Aho Svechnikov is 
is maybe not quite on the same level, but they're not too far behind either. And that Carolina defense is so much stronger than Boston's. Uh, even without Hamilton and Petrie, I still prefer Carolina's. Uh, Carolina, I think, has a deeper offense too. And they, they proved it against New York. They've got a lot of great pieces, especially after adding Vincent Trocek at the trade deadline, absolutely robbing uh, the, the Panthers, making Jordan Stahl their third-line center. And so I'm picking the Hurricanes too. I don't even think it'll take six games. I'm going with five. Wow. Okay, the, the President's Trophy. Are they, they are the President's Trophy champions, right, at this point? Yep, the Boston is uh, the President's Trophy winner. Okay, losing a five in the first round, and I can't say I, I'm surprised by this pick. I can't say I disagree. Uh, and, I mean, we're talking about the perfection line. If Are they going to get going? I mean, if they're going to get going, I, it's probably the hardest matchup against, you know, we're talking about decors. Uh, you have tremendous defensemen all around. I If, if anybody's going to shut them down, it's going to be this Carolina team. And... They haven't even hit their stride yet, the, the Boston, the perfection line, uh, as they like to say. I hate that name, first of all. Uh, I think it's an atrocity, oh, it but, you know, I keep using it, but it's terrible. Uh, we need we need some better nicknames in the league. But, yeah, uh, Carolina, I think, is just the, – the one concern I have, obviously, is the goaltending. I mean, Tuka Rask, uh, Vezna nominee, very well-deserved. He's one of the best consistently – uh, top goalies in the league. Carolina, I don't even know who the fuck is going to start. Is it going to be Jay Driver, Peter Mrazek? Is Mrazek injured? What's up there? Uh, so if there's one major advantage for Boston, I think it's a net. But everywhere else I look, Carolina is just the better team, flat out. You talk about defense, I don't I don't think it's close at all between the the, the, the Hurricanes and the, and the Bruins. I think the Bruins' defense is, is all right. I don't think it's anything special uh, at all. And, yeah, Carolina, I think they're the way better team. And talk about favorites, yeah, I think they should be, uh, despite the fact that they're the qualifying round team right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember who it was, but a couple of years ago, uh, there was a great idea for what we should call the Burge run line. It was the Ratatouille line because, I mean, you've got Marchand, who's the rat, <laughs> and you've got Pasternak, whose nickname is Pasta. And then, I mean, Bergeron uh, kind of sounds, you know, he's Quebecois, kind of a French-sounding name. So it works on all three fronts, maybe a couple fronts more than other fronts. But I think I think it works much better than than the perfection line. So maybe, okay, maybe we'll, we'll get that our, going. Yeah, in our coverage from now on, this is the Ratatouille line. Uh, everywhere yeah. you look at it, that's a fantastic name. Uh, just, just perfect. I okay. wish I could give so whoever came up with a credit. I think it might have been Down Goes Brown. I'm not sure. Whoever it was, I don't know. You're probably not listening. Whoever came up with it, but uh, but thank you anyway. To, to we're sending you a thank you through the the airwaves, um, and that is all eight of the of the quarter the conference quarterfinals for the NHL playoffs. Those are our thoughts on that. And now, uh, the show isn't quite over because we have to talk about phase two of the draft lottery, which is happening. This evening, it is in six hours. It's on 6, p- 6 p.m. Eastern time is, is when it's happening. And I just want to say congratulations and thank you to the NHL for putting this on a day with no games. All eyes will be on this amazing event that it looks like, by, by all accounts, they're going to do it properly. They're going to have eight lottery balls, I guess one with each, I don't know, a team logo on it or like a number associated to a team. Not sure exactly how that's going to work out, but basically... We're not going to have Bill Daly flipping some card. It's going to be Gary Bettman on TV, and the ball will come out of the machine, and he'll pick it up, and then we'll know right there who won. And, I mean, they could have 
done with something you know some over the top like elimination bracket style like lottery thing like some of some of these, these coin flip tournament coin flip tournament could have got done with that too but i mean out of all the realistic options this was by far the best it's going to be so dramatic it's going to be a, a legendary moment as long as gary bettman doesn't like flub it somehow by like seeing the logo and forgetting what the team is called but i mean as long as, <laughs> as long as he doesn't total, totally mess it up this should be an amazing event yeah, I think, uh, frankly, I think this event, this this occurrence that is happening in six hours, I think it's underhyped right now. I mean, just uh, not a ton of people talking about it. It's going to be fucking insane. I mean, this never happens. And I'm just so glad that they're not doing the, you know, this, you know the, the thing that they always do where they have, like, you know, the, s- the six lottery balls in the back room. They could have very easily done that, you know? Uh, and, and then that would have been that, and we wouldn't have been surprised. But lo and behold... They're fucking doing it. The lottery ball thing. Uh, we're gonna know around the spot. I hope it's just logos. And, and then if you look, they zoom in on the machine, and you can see the logos bouncing around. Uh, the only the only way the night is ruined for me. Well, two ways the night is ruined. Uh, what if the New York Rangers get it? And I think you feel the same way. Uh, we it would not be nice to see him go there. But uh, second way, if Toronto wins, uh, I will be I will have a meltdown uh, because you know fuck I don't want to see Toronto win the lottery again. Uh, and that team doesn't need a free asset. And also, we didn't mention, if Toronto doesn't win the lottery, their pick, which will be, what, 13th or 14th or something like that, straight yep. to Carolina from the Patrick Marlowe trade. Uh, we'd love to see that. And so, you know, two teams that we're preying on uh, that they don't win, the Rangers and Toronto. You know, Edmonton wouldn't even fucking bother me because that team is so poorly constructed that they find a way to waste left from here. So just Toronto and New York, just for the love of God, it's it's twenty five percent chance that they win, seventy five percent that they don't. That's what I'm banking on tonight. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I'm not. Uh, I think the NHL like for the normal lottery is like kind of like phase one, which was more or less a normal draft lottery. It makes sense to do like you know the balls in the back, flip over the cards, and then like reveal the lottery ball sequence later. Because normally when you have three lotteries to run, the the, the balls popping out of the machine doesn't make for good dramatic TV because you find out the first pick first and then the second and then third. And I find the countdown, you know, where you walk it back from 15 and then if you hop over a team, you know, they won. I think that's the right way to do it normally. But now that there's only one lottery, one ball you're picking, they, they nailed it too. So I feel like people like to complain about the draft lottery. The NHL, it seems in the past four years or so, has been nailing the draft lottery on every single front. So if you're going to complain about something in the NHL, you can find plenty of other things to complain about before you get to the draft lottery. Because uh, that is that is one of the few things that they've done perfectly pretty much every time. And for tonight's lottery, there are so many different angles to look at this at. One of my favorite angles is 37.5% chance that the winner is either Toronto, Pittsburgh, or Edmonton, which, while obviously in varying degrees, all bring uh, quite a distinct element of chaos. And out of all of those, Toronto is my least favorite option, too. Um, Edmonton, though, I feel like that might be, if I had to pick pick one of these eight teams to win, might be that one, because, I mean, chaos is always a lot of fun. you got to love it. Also, not in Montreal's conference. Also, very good for both Lafreniere and McDavid and Dreisaitl because obviously seeing those two players, those three players, I guess, get their, their careers wasted away wouldn't be wouldn't be very pleasant. And I feel like if all three of them have each other, then it's much less likely to happen. Obviously, there still would be a lot of work to do in Edmonton. Don't want to see him go to the Rangers. Don't want to see him go to the Panthers because not only is that in Montreal's division, but it's also a very boring option. 
Uh, wouldn't mind seeing him go to, to Nashville for reasons I've mentioned. Uh, the Jets, I mean, it seems like uh, a lot of people are promoting, you know, oh, go, go Jets because because a lot of people, you know, in Canada hate the Leafs and the Jets are the other Canadian team in this uh, in this lottery. So, so Sportsnet and TSN are kind of like, you know, trying to push like Leafs and Jets, Leafs and Jets in the lottery. But I don't know, Jets kind of seems like a boring option too just because they have so many wingers. And then, of course, you have the Minnesota Wild. Uh, who are, you know, gut feeling, gut feeling it's going to be Minnesota because, I mean, has that team ever had, you know, a star player? I would say no because, I mean, Jack Brise, Ryan Suter, the day they signed those guys, that was a pretty big day. Probably, the, I would say, the biggest day ever in Minnesota Wild history. And if signing a couple of big-name free agents is your biggest day in history, then that should give a, a pretty good impression of how your history has gone so far. So Lafreniere, is he going to take the Minnesota Wild out of their mediocrity, I think he would definitely be a big help. So I'm pretty sure I covered all eight teams that could win. I didn't really mention uh, Pittsburgh, though. Uh, that'd be, that'd be I don't know, I'd have mixed feelings about that because on one hand, you're like, Pittsburgh finished seventh in the regular season. They should have no business being anywhere near Lafreniere. On the other hand, it's like this team has stayed so good without having any top uh, any top end picks, any like high draft pick, basically since like, Jordan Stoll in 2006. They've stayed good, so maybe they deserve a break. But on the other hand, the other other hand, I suppose you could say, they've won multiple Stanley Cups in recent memory, and therefore directly don't deserve to get the topic. I'll have a lot of lot of thoughts to process through if uh, if Pittsburgh ends up winning. Yeah, hopefully we won't have to go through that. Uh, I just, I just, I want a Western team to win. You know, we like a nice Western team. Keep them out of the Habs division. Keep them out of the Habs conference. And you know, if Edmonton does win, I do fully expect that they will trade one of McDavid, Dreisaitl, or Lafreniere uh, for a second pair of defensemen. Uh, no doubt. No fucking doubt in my mind. Uh, and I don't know how long will, if he does go to end up Edmonton, just that, oh, could you imagine that power play? Uh, if they could get any sort of defenseman, that would be pretty, that'd be pretty fucking bonkers. So yeah. I don't think, uh, I don't think any of them are getting traded. I think, I think if they do in Lafreniere, I think it's probably like, I wouldn't do this, but if they do try the, uh, you know, trade a forward for a defenseman, route again ryan nugent hopkins is uh, is probably on the outside looking in to bring in i don't know the next adam larson yeah i mean it just you can't get good value if you trade any of those three right try at all mcdavid or lafreniere uh just a tier above taylor hall it's not gonna happen yeah, we'll, see, we'll, see, we'll see we'll see it's, it's the fucking oilers though so you know they'll find a way uh they just they just completely wasted mcdavid for yet another year so you know always find a way to screw up so yeah uh my hopes are on the western conference and uh yeah so that wraps it up i think unless you have anything else to add uh for Uh, this sort of bonus episode yeah yeah no no that's it uh yeah i was gonna say it is a little shorter than normal because it is kind of a a bonus episode it's monday today uh we're not gonna have a like a post lottery show because as we said last time that information really isn't time sensitive we'll talk about it our next show which will probably be it'll be next weekend either saturday or Sunday, the the playoff schedule is out. Montreal is playing their first game on Monday. No, not sorry, not Monday, Wednesday night. Then I'm pretty sure all their games are like they're spaced out on the even number of days, at least until until later in the in the round. So I think they play like Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. So we're probably gonna do the show on on like Saturday. Uh, yeah, probably because you don't, you don't want to have a show on the morning of game day and then have a game that night. So, so that that's probably the plan. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, so that's it for us today. 
Uh, thank you very much as always for listening. Uh, we appreciate it a ton. Uh, check us out on Twitter. Our handles are in the description. Uh, I need to revamp my Twitter profile to be totally honest. That's going to happen in the next little while. Uh, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. Uh, and we'll see you next week when I have to play some playoff games. This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today.